Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And today we're talking about something that is adjacent to talent development, often connected, and just as, if not more important, and that is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, or DEIB. And if you've been following me for a while, you know I like to have experts on from time to time to talk about DEI. Obviously, it's closely connected with talent development. Often, I talk to people in talent development who have the role overseeing DEI or work in DEI. So it's not always adjacent. It's always often integrated, which is the way it really should be, right? And I know many of you are very passionate about this subject. And so I want to make sure that we're checking in from time to time on what's going on in the world of DEI and give you more ideas of what you can be doing, how you can leverage data and the latest practices and trends to help you improve DEIB in your organization. And my guest today is Scott Bellina, who is a longtime DEI practitioner and consultant, as well as a U.S. Navy veteran who works with organizations and communities to create a culture of belonging where all employees are valued, respected, and empowered to contribute their unique perspectives and talents. Scott has worked for organizations such as Citrix, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Deloitte, and consulted with many others. Scott is on a mission to mitigate bias and create equity inside and outside of organizations so that the organization, their employees, their customers, and the community can benefit from the strategic advantage of diversity and inclusion. And I can tell you from a personal perspective, I've had a few conversations now with Scott. They're always enjoyable. He's such a a really engaging and interesting guy and just such an expert on this topic of DEI, whether it's related to hiring and bringing in the right people or improving your talent development processes and making them more inclusive. So if you're interested in any of those things, I think you're going to enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my friend Scott Bellina on DEI in L&D. Enjoy. All right, I'm joined now by Scott Bellina, who is a longtime DEI practitioner and DEI expert and uh, just really excited to get into this topic. Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, Scott. And this is one of those cases where I try to, I, I've learned over the years, I try to curb this, but we get on to record a podcast and we start chatting and I realize time is getting away because we're having such a great conversation. And we need to let our listeners in on this because we've been talking about some great stuff. We haven't even gotten into the, the main topic at hand, but I want to start with your background and just jumping right in, what was it like being a gay man in the U.S. Navy during yeah. Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Yeah, you know, I often share that that experience w- was really the foundation of kind of what w- why I do some of my DEI work. Like It gave me both some of the best experiences and some of the most, you know, some of the most challenging. The best, like, you know, so I, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I was from, you know, a very working class family. And my dad was a steel worker and lost a job. I had never been on an airplane before I joined the U.S. Navy. So, mm. so joining the Navy just exploded my worldview in the best possible way. I got to interact with people from all over the country, travel and interact with people from all over the world. Uh, so, so it really gave me sort of that much bigger picture than just, you know, Southwestern Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, but, but like on the flip side, like, you know, like you said, I was, I was a gay man in the military and during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it was, you know, it was really challenging. I was, I was struggling with my identity at the time. 
you know, it, it absolutely gave me that experience of like not belonging in an organization, not being able to truly trust anyone mm. in the organization in an organization that is like all about trust, right? Cause like you need yeah. to rely on these people for your life <laughs> and that sort of disconnect that it kind of creates within, um, within a person and within an organization. So it was, you know, it was a very, very challenging, you know, time, yeah. time for me. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I chose not to make it, you know, not to make it a career. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I like you mentioned that word belonging. And I said you were a, a DEI expert, but really people say more often DEIB these days, right? Diversity, equity, yeah. inclusion, belonging. And I think about it a lot. I was even writing about it this morning and or yesterday. And this idea of the E and I, I feel like really lead to the concept of belonging, right? And like at the yeah. end of the day, when you show up at an organization to work, that question of like, do you feel like you belong or not has a huge impact on whether you're excited to be there and you're engaged and you want to stay there versus being like, I don't feel like I belong. I think maybe I should move on somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always talk about is like inclusion is the action. Inclusion is what we do for mm -hmm. each other. But okay. belonging is really that out as the outcome. Right. And whether and whether we feel like, you know, we we can lend our talents and our points of view and all of that into an organization is is that sort of true that true belonging that true belonging feeling mm. and i would imagine that you know that experience gives you an incredible amount of empathy for people from all different walks of life who may not feel like they belong or don't feel included in the organizations they work for yeah absolutely it's it's empathy for sure but then there's also been a learning process of you know i i'm you know i'm an expert on my identity or at least at the you know time but also mm -hmm. You know, learning about ev all everyone else's and and things that and things that could make them feel excluded and, and like they don't belong, and then you know we're obviously working with organizations to to shift to shift those behaviors and shift that culture. Yeah. So, how did you get from your experience in the Navy to getting into this type of work as a DEI practitioner? Yeah, it was it was a little a little circuitous. Um, so after I left the Navy, I joined Deloitte, and my full time job there was a software implementer for most of for most of my career and I did I did software implementations mostly for the for the US federal government hmm. but my my part-time job I started an LGBTQ um, employee resource group um, hmm. in Washington DC I was one of the founding members and then you know that kind of snowballed into a national role when prop 8 happened in in California the chief diversity officer of Deloitte at the time asked a partner and I was a senior manager at the time to kind of take on organizing us nationally to address some of those challenges there were also things like internal benefits and, and at the time domestic partner benefits cuz marriage wasn't wasn't legal. So, so they were really trying to address um, some of those issues. And that went so well, my role expanded to help basically like all the other employee resource groups set up national organizations. And, you know, I was on the track to make partner doing software implementations and a good friend and mentor, you know, part of that process, I should, should back up part of that process is you take your business case and you go around to groups of partners and directors and, and you're presenting through your business case to get admitted to the partnership. And a good friend and mentor as I was practicing, she's like, Scott, she's like, you're a different person when you're talking about at the time your DNI work. 
She's mm-hmm. like, energy changes. You can you can feel and see how much you care about this topic. And that gave me pause. And I you know, told the firm, I was like, hey, I want to kind of take a break from <laughs> from this to to see, you know, to 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 just think about is this truly my next step? And and um it ended up there was an open position in Deloitte's Leadership Center for Inclusion. My friend Christy Smith was the partner running it. She had a she had a need for a chief of staff, and I did a complete uh, a complete career shift away from software and into into DEI more more than a decade ago at this at this point. Wow, yeah, and it's interesting. I think it's cool when you have people. So I was just writing about this this morning, and this book I'm writing about leadership about the importance of identifying people's strengths, and it's really cool when you can have somebody with their outside perspective, help you identify your strengths, not only what you're good at, but really what really lights you up so yeah. that you can focus on doing more of that work. I've had that happen for me. And I love seeing that happen for other people and, and trying to be part of that as well. Yeah. You know, it was one of those moments where it was like, it was right in front of me and I didn't even, like I didn't even, I didn't even see it really. And it was such a like, aha kind of like, oh yeah, this, this could be something that I do you know, that I do for, uh, do for a living. So yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, forever indebted to Angela. (laughs) I love that. And so you got into this more than 10 years ago, you know, going back to like organizing in DC. And of course I remember I lived in California at the time during prop eight and remember, you know, going to the courthouse and seeing all that stuff was really cool. Yeah, I'm sure you've, you've observed as you've been part of it, how DEI and especially investments by organizations in DEIB has really changed over the last decade, and especially since the the rise of the social justice movement in in May 2020, right? So what are some of the big things that you've seen change over the years and especially that you're seeing now? You know, so so one, I think it's, you know, it's become, you know, you don't, no one gets trained in like DEI, right? Like you don't Mm -hmm. go to college and study like, how do do I do this, right? So, so all of us come at this from very different, you know, very different disciplines, you know, some just on the job training, others like from psychology and, you know, and other, and other backgrounds, you know, so I think we've gotten a lot more structured in how we, and how we do, you know, and do this work. And, and, And I saw kind of very early on where it was purely just kind of a hearts and minds kind of strategy. Like we're going to make people care about this, like we care about this. And I think what I've seen shift and what I incorporate into a lot of my work, especially, you know, especially having that background in software where I'm really familiar how systems and processes and tools drive and, you know, can drive an organization. I really, I've really started to focus on, and I think a lot of my colleagues focus on, like how do our HR processes really either sustain kind of systemic problems mm-hmm. or how do we adapt them to mitigate bias to promote to promote equity and really drive towards the those DEI and B goals that we um that we have so i think that has been i think that has been a huge um, a huge change and and frankly i think you know especially us as americans really kind of confronting racism head on right mm-hmm. i think all of us all of us cared about it but I don't think we as DEI professionals really 
pushed as much as we needed to because it was it was scary for you know for, and and you know it it shouldn't be right because if we're advocating for women <laughs> you know we we should just mm-hmm. equally be advocating for people of color and for the LGBT community and veterans and you know people with disabilities but for mm-hmm. for some reason I think a lot of us were more tentative around around that and and kind of the the Black Lives Matter movement and yeah. And you know the murder of George Floyd and many others that 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 really opened up maybe some of our organizations to hear the messages mm-hmm. a, a, bit, a bit more and motivated some of us to like okay this this is scary but if I'm not doing this work who yep. who would be right like it's my responsibility within within this organization to advocate for everyone and I really need to to be to be doing that. Yeah, I, I like what you said. You mentioned like addressing this idea of racism. I think you said head on or directly. And I do feel like there was a big change, right? Because you would have asked anybody before and it was like, oh yeah, we think racism is bad. But there was kind of this idea and I'll say maybe from the perspective of a straight white man like me that like, oh, I'm not racist. I don't think poorly of, I just live my life this way and I don't do anything bad versus like, okay, we need to actually talk about this directly. And it brought on this concept of what it means to be an ally. And so even if you're not in the group that needs help, you can be an ally and someone who can help and actually speak to people or about the topic directly and say, hey, you're black, I'm white. Let's talk about our differences and how we can support each other. I started having a lot more of those conversations as well as really focusing more on, okay, how can I really be a great ally and use, you know, my platform to amplify voices of people of color from LGBT community, from neurodiversity, like all of these different backgrounds and make sure they're represented and not just say, well, I'm not, you know, ignoring anybody on purpose. It's just that this is who I have on. I'm not part of the problem, but I'm also not part of the solution unless I'm doing something about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think so, so like that to me has been a really expiring and inspiring, not expiring, inspiring thing to to take on, you know, and 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 it forced me to do a lot of self examination too. You know, I, I grew up in a pretty racially diverse community, hmm. but but you know, so I, I think I was, you know, I, I, if you would probably ask me this ten years ago, I was kind of in that place, like oh, like many of my friends from high school were are black people, you know what I mean, like yeah. all the all the all the trite (laughs) saying like, and, and it really made me kind of do some self-examination about, okay, what am, what am I actively Mm. engaging in to undo some of the, you know, some of the, the structures that are in place that, that impact my friends differently than they impact, you know, than they impact me. So, yeah. So it, 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 to me has been a, you know, obviously a horrible thing to go through for, for our country and for for our Black and African American people, but it's also been a really, I think, big growth thing for me, you know, for me personally and and professionally. Yeah, for many of us, I'm curious. You know, many organizations uh, sort of uh, woke up, uh, putting that in quotes for lack of a better word, uh, yeah. and started putting more efforts into DEI and like we need to do more here and raise awareness and address some of our unconscious bias and things like that. What do you think is, is has been broken or is still broken when it comes to DEI training that organizations are doing? It's not really working. Yeah, you know, so I, I think part of it is the focus just on the training. Like what, what I see frequently <laughs> is organizations have made like big promises <laughs> and lots and lots did after that. 
And then they they like to you know pay and not to sort of disparage people, but they bring in like these big name speakers, right? And and oh, we did a Black History Month event, or we rolled out this unconscious bias learning pro you know learning program. And and you know I often share with companies, I'm like, bias has been built in you know at least in my brain. My birthday was last week, 52 yeah. years, right? Yeah. That that. 52 years I've learned <laughs> culture and, and, and bias and all of these things that's not getting undone in my brain in a 30 yeah, minute yeah. keynote speak or a two hour, you know, a two hour class. Um, so, yeah. so I think like that, I think, I think only concentrating on sort of that learning and awareness part of it is really to me, not even half the battle that, that, you know, and I hate to be a broken record that, that we do need to look at how are we recruiting people? How are we, who is engaging in our learning programs? Are we setting up learning programs that bring diversity into, you know, into the program where it's really built into everything that we do has, you know, it's not this extra add on thing, but as you're training leaders, inclusion is one of the skills that that they're learning to run, to be an effective leader, to run highly effective, you know, effective teams. And I think that's where that's where sometimes organizations fall down is they don't think about that sort of completely integrated approach. They just kind of like, oh, we have a DNI learning program, and that's that's gonna you know that's gonna kind of drive it. But we don't have sort of the systems, processes, and, and structures. And cultures to kind of support that that yeah. little bit of learning we you know we did in the classroom or in a, a virtual setting. Yeah, you've talked a little bit about you know getting more serious how organizations are taking serious more seriously the business case or DEI and not just sort of a nice to have like it was in the older days. I know that from talking with you that you are big on using data in this as well and not just saying like oh this is the right thing to do. Yeah. How is using data to assess challenges and bottlenecks even in things like recruiting helped improve DEI in organizations? Yeah. So, so, you know, to, to your, to your exact point. So one, I think it lets, you know, whether it's a DNI professional or an HR professional see where their, where their challenges might be, right? Like that you're looking at demographic data across the entire employee life cycle, right? Or, you know, is, if you're, you know, if you're specifically focused on recruiting, like, is it an outreach and we're not getting candidates at the top of the pipeline? Or do we see different, you know, different groups falling out somewhere during that pipeline to offer? Is it, you know, they're not getting past the recruiter screen or we're not, you know, after the, the interview panels that, that folks are disproportionately falling out and sort of similarly, you know, in our performance and, and promotion processes, like, is it taking longer for, for some groups to get promoted, not not just the raw, are we promoting it sort of equal, but are are women you know in a role two years longer than their male counterparts to 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 advance to the to the next role? So I think being really really detailed in that in that data kind of informs at least what the problem is, right? <laughs> so it's like okay, here's you know here's here's some of the bottlenecks that we're that we're seeing, and then you know, implementing implementing a, a tool or a practice to help to help address that, right? So you know, like one of the things I've implemented, there's a again speaking to data, there's some research out of uh, Denmark, a, a woman by the name of Suzanne Justison that said 
she she found that 30% difference on teams helps drive performance. And that was most strongly correlated to age, nationality, and gender. Hmm. So one of the things that that I've used and um, developed this with some colleagues at the Gates Foundation was just a simple graph, right? Like simple, simple chart and listing, you know, in this case, in this context, it would be your interview panel. Okay. <laughs> like list those names and then we're going to analyze them demographically. And do we have diversity on that interview panel? One, to present a good face to our candidates and show that this is something that's important to us, but also for that, you know, hiring manager, the person that's ultimately making the decision that they have a diversity of input into, you know, into their decision-making process. That's not just kind of this homogeneous group feeding your own opinions back, you know, back to you. Mm -hmm. So using something, you know, something like that in a, in a structured, in a structured way, and then seeing, and there's lots of research to say diverse interview panels make different decisions and mm -hmm. more ones, but then seeing what those outcomes are for your, you know, for your organization. How do you go about, um, one question I'm curious about, maybe I haven't been that involved in this inside organizations, especially with the data part. How do you make sure you have the right data on some of these things? Because technically from a legality standpoint, you can't just ask people or put in, Hey, are you black? What is your race? Are you gay? Yeah. Are you straight? You know, I mean, you generally can probably know if people are a man or a woman. Even that these days is is subjective and up to what do you consider yourself, right? What's your pronouns? Yeah. How do you have this data to be able to analyze this? Yeah, it's complicated. And, and, okay. and even more so, even more so in international, you know, mm -hmm. in any organization, because, you know, let's specifically talk about race. Race, race and ethnicity is thought about very differently mm. country to country, right? So, so you really have to, to sort of personalize it to that cultural context of, of an organization. So one, most organizations do self-ID, right? They, they do, and, and it's requirements in, in, certain, in certain countries where there is data that you have to collect. You, mm -hmm. you, you, know, you routinely go through a process where you're asking employees to put that data into your HR system or some other sort of survey to, to obtain, you know, one of the things we did in my last organization, so we operated in 40 countries. Mm. We had, when I joined, we had no data on gender identity and sexual orientation. Mm. And I worked like arm in arm with the legal team and yeah. it took us more than a year. <laughs> yeah. And we were able to ask a question about gender identity and a question about sexual orientation in 36 of the 40 countries in which we operated, right? So, so that gave me a whole, you know, bunch wealth of, you know, wealth of data to, um, to go off of. And then I think the other, you know, the other place, you know, I talked about sort of that employee life cycle, but the other place that I, I, I find it incredibly useful or data incredibly useful is like employee engagement surveys, right? That, that, so from a culture standpoint, is there a difference in experience of of employees based on you know based on demographics and yeah. and 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 holding both of those things as equally important right like it's not just about counting people or measuring how they're moving through your, your HR processes but are, are they feeling valued and included and engaged right. at, yeah. at similar you know similar um, similar you know having a similar experience within the organization yeah I mean if you're able to get that information and then you see that. Oh, like men are generally happier and more fulfilled than women, or 
everybody's doing pretty well, except for people in LGBTQ or whatever, like, okay, this is something we need to ask more questions about and look into more because there may be some type of bias or something going on here that is holding people back or causing them to be less happy, less engaged and, and possibly want right. to leave. You know, what, one of the things I, I've seen in an organization and not to disparage like the great place to work survey, it's, it's yeah. a great survey, but there's a question on there. Like, do you think they're, you know, the people are treated equally in this organization based on their gender? Right. And I saw, a company, you know, I've seen companies like, oh, 95% of people, you know, yeah. said, said that this isn't true. And I'm like, well, have we looked at how, what men said and what women said yeah, in that, you know, because if the organization is disproportionately one or the other, that's going to mm-hmm. skew, your, skew your results and you disaggregate those. And it's like, oh, there's a 15 point difference between yeah. what how men answer that question and how women yeah, answer that. The construction organization with 80% men and they're like, yeah, everything's great. It's totally equitable. Right. Like, mm, right. You actually so look like, at right, the other so, side. So, you know, especially with data and like that, it's like, okay, di- like we got to dig deeper. We got to dig, de- you know, we got to dig deeper. So yeah. how do you design processes and tools to mitigate bias and and prime from equity and and these types of things. Yeah. So so that you know that 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 tool you know that tool that I talked about with the diverse interview panels is is certainly is certainly one. And I've used that in in other you know in other contexts. Well as well. Like one of the things that that I really try to do um, is I try to I try to make something complicated simple. Right. So so once we've you know once we've had that tool, I think about like what are the other use cases to to use something like that. So I've I've worked with like sales teams and say, hey, we're, you know, we're we're approaching a new customer. And how how can we think about being deliberate with our sales team so that we're presenting, you know, a, a diverse face to this customer? I, I've talked to teams about, hey, we're standing up a new project, right? And and to take into account, okay, what's the diversity of that new project team? you know, look like I've worked with executives, you know, I think especially in recruiting, like executive recruiting can be really challenging, right? Because there's those roles aren't open very often. And oftentimes when we're hiring for those roles, we're really using the networks of the executives that are around that other executive Mm -hmm. to recruit from. And, you know, I've used that, I've used that tool and and worked with executives say, hey, you have an open job for a, a VP on your team or a director on your team. Who are the first 12 people you would reach out to to tell them about that job to either get want them to come join your team or use their network? And then analyze them demographically. And often the case is like, oh, most of my network either looks like me or has the same background from an industry and education experience. Yep. And it's not that diverse. And I'm like, okay, this is something we can then, you know, that we can then work on. You know, and maybe the last thing I'd add, like one of the one of the areas that, that may be more relevant this office is like performance management and learning, you know, and learning management. So, you know, thinking about bias in in those terms, I've used things like writing a bias mitigation statement before you walk in, you know, before you write a performance, you know, a performance evaluation or walk into a performance discussion, you know, training someone to look for bias during like a talent review and and thinking, you know, having, excuse me, having that person be kind of on the lookout of, okay, are we, are we adhering to the performance criteria? Are we adhering to the timeline that this rating is, 
is valid for is is the raider or the group using specific examples that that kind of justify the rating so that we're not like you know we're not kind of stigmatizing oh this person is difficult to work with right like broad sweeping general statements mm-hmm. like like that so so you know designing those into you know into a performance structure where where there's someone in that group that's kind of monitoring for for those kind of statements or that kind of uh, that yeah. kind of behavior. We've been talking a little bit about recruiting and diversity and and some inclusion and belonging as well. And and there's so much more we could talk about there, but given this podcast is about talent development, I want to pivot a little bit into that and ask you, you know, how can we provide more or better development opportunities to the right people? I think we're all out there talking about how do we provide development opportunities to everybody? Certainly we want, you know, everybody talks about hypo talent and leadership development, but I've still heard there's a lot of challenges with people being excluded or not being included if they're not part of the conversation to begin with. You know, how do we make sure that the programs we're creating are more inclusive when we're providing development to the right people? Yeah. So I, I think being you know, deliberate, right? Like you have mm-hmm. you have to be really purposeful that that you you're, you know, not only the content of of what you're creating and, and we've talked about content, but also like who who is part of those, you know, groups that that a cohort you know, a, co- a cohort isn't simply just all the people that volunteer, but but like how how is that cohort how is that cohort kind of leading to what you you know what you want representation to look like in your you know in your organization? Are there are there parts of that cohort that that need extra support <laughs> because you know because of the circumstances of you know of their background of their of their role? So I think that that is really important and then and then measuring sort of the outcomes right that it's not just like hey we we you know we we sent all these people through you know through this talent development process but what does what does the outcomes look like that are 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 people getting promoted and and if there's if there's differences in those like a- asking yourself why like to to me DEI work is just the constant why question right like mm-hmm. we're see- when we see difference like why is that why is that happening right when when it's sort of statistically significant difference between two groups of people like why you know why 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 and and yeah. keep kind of digging down digging down on that yeah mm. so really getting curious about the different people that are involved, why certain people are being invited to certain things. Are we excluding anybody in this process? Are there other people that we should be involving? Other questions yeah. we could be asking. Are there people that maybe could be eligible or great potential, to use a lack of a better word, that we're not really thinking about and we need to bring them into the discussion? Right, right. And even, you know, I mean, even, even you know, and the this is sort of talent development, but also recruit uh, like recruiting. Like one of the great things that I got to work on at my last organization was we were a very philanthropic organization. And, and I started to view those as like talent development and talent pipelines. Right. So like we partnered with some organizations, like one comes to mind in India after homosexuality was decriminalized in what was that? 2018 in India, you know, we had a pride group that got really inspired and motivated and they came to me with a proposal like, hey, there's an organization that works with trans women. And and in, in India, that was, that was 
is and, and was a very stigmatized identity that many of those women were resorting to sex work or or begging in the street to to just survive. Mm-hmm. And this organization was doing job training. We invested both dollars but also employee volunteer hours with that organization and ended up creating a pipeline into like one of our subcontractor organizations. So that, that those um, those women could have reception jobs and security jobs. And then we were, you know, we were starting to work on, okay, they're subcontractors and this is their first kind of real job. And now how can we then create pipelines into the organization for full-time roles? And that's, you know, that's kind of coupling need, a very extreme need in that case of, of a group of people with development and, you know, and sort of with an eye to talent acquisition to sort of change representation within, you know, within the organization. So I think also, you know, looking for, you know, talent and and unusual solutions and places you may yeah. not you may not normally think about it just kind of keeping keeping that awareness awareness up yeah really cool as we look to wrap this up I, I wanted to ask you you know related to that what would you like to see more organizations or LD professionals doing to partner more with DEI or further this cause and, and make things more inclusive yeah so I, and I touched on this before I think Integrating it into the entire LED experience, right? Not just focusing on, hey, we have this one learning program that is that is DEI, but really integrating it into all of the learning that an employee does or a leader does to develop to develop themselves. I think is is one, and then being kind of close partners on. You know, for, from a data standpoint, like who's who who is accessing you know accessing the learning? Who's getting selected for for development programs? And then what are the results results afterwards? Because that you know to me that helps both both organizations. You know, one develop high quality employees and and, and high performing leaders, as well as advancing advancing their their DEI goals. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So really some concrete actions there. Okay. And then the last question, Scott, I wanted to ask you, bringing things back all the way to (laughs) the LGBT community, you have been an organizer and you're also a member, of course. I feel like it's that commercial, like you're you're not just a member, you're the president, you're also a member, right? You've got great hair, by the way. Not just the president, you're not just an organizer, you're also a member. When it comes to the LGBTQ, we'll say equality movement, what are you proud of and what do you feel like still needs to be improved or done to better support the LGBT community? Wow. What about, Oh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm very proud that, that so much change. And we were talking about this earlier. So much change has happened in like such, you know, such a short, relatively short amount of time. Like I think back to, you know, to me in high school (laughs) and being, I mean, you know, and, you know, terrified uh, about, uh, about, my identity to you know thinking about my my son and my my nephews and my niece and how this is just like a normal part of their lived experience it's just what people talk like we have you know we have friends that are non-binary and and you know gay and queer and you know like the high school i went to you know there's there's gay couples going to prom like that just blows You know, that just really blows my mind, right? Like I sound like a real, like sound like an old man now at this point, but like that—that that is just to me so incredible that that kids just to gr- grow up with 
this is this is completely normal, yeah. right? And it and it is completely normal. Yeah. You know, the the thing that's really hard, and I think especially those of us in the U.S. right now, experience like so. Like I live in Florida, right? And 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 the backlash is very you know is very real. Like there's there's books getting banned in in school districts all across Florida. The you know the government is being openly hostile to to people's to people's identities. And, you know, and I think that's a really challenging thing, especially for organizations to, mm-hmm. to navigate because, you know, and I, and I engage in this discussion a lot, like people say, well, well, this is politics and we should stay out of politics. And, and yeah. like my, my, my kind of thought of, of that is always like when people's identities are getting kind of weaponized, mm. that's, that's not politics, right? Like when, when. A, a politician or a government is saying like these people don't have the right to exist. Mm. Like to me, that's not that's not politics. That is just kind of morals and values. And mm. and if we don't, you know, as an organization or as a person, you're saying you don't value that. Mm. That that is a that is a failure of culture to me. That is not a we're we're not getting engaged in in politics. So I think we still have a lot of room to grow there and and really some tough stuff to work, to work through. Yeah, I agree with you. I am a Florida native and there's been some challenging times over the last few weeks and months with what's going on there. So uh, I've been following it not too closely, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Scott, this has been fantastic. Really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom. I knew when we chatted for the first time that I had to get you on here to share some of this stuff because I know it's something that people in L&D really care about and want to partner better with DEI and thinking about how we can use data better and how we can analyze things and look at how we can approach some of this stuff. So I think it's really helpful. Look forward to talking with you more about it. We are still going to do our bonus Q&A episode. So hang in, hang on for that. Okay. But for those that want to get in touch with you, maybe talk more about this, where's the best place for them to go? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. So Scott, Scott Bellina on LinkedIn. I also have my consulting website. So scottbellinaconsultingllc.com. So, you know, able to kind of reach me either of those places. Awesome. So yeah, find you on LinkedIn, go connect with Scott, reach out, start a conversation about DEI, uh, connect with me if we're not already connected on LinkedIn. And uh, Scott, thank you again for being here. I look forward to talking with you more soon. Likewise. Thanks so much, Andy. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Scott Bellina about DEI and L&D and what he's seeing and how we can be using data and improving our processes. I hope you got value from that conversation. If you did, if you still have questions, you want to talk more, reach out to Scott. I know he's available and having conversations with lots of organizations on these topics these days. He's available on LinkedIn. You know, go connect with him. Let him know you enjoyed this conversation. And go connect with me on LinkedIn as well if we're not already connected. I'm sharing content there on a regular basis. I hope that you're using these and taking notes, by the way, to improve your capabilities and up your game and and the work that you're doing in the world of talent development and DEI. And if you're looking for more help, if you're looking to connect with more people who are doing similar things, if you're looking to hear what other people are working on, what tools they're using, and what things are working well and what things are not working well, and you're not yet a member of our talent development think tank community, you need to come check us out. The website is tdtt.us. 
Just go there and click on community. That's tdtt.us and click on community. And you'll be able to get all the information right there on our three tiers, which includes our foundation level for early career L&D professionals, our full access level for more experienced or uh, professionals or anybody who wants to learn the most about what's going on in L&D, and our entrepreneur tier for those building businesses in the talent development world. So make sure you go check that out. We're still offering a free trial right now. You can join for two weeks, check it out, and then decide whether you want to stay or not. All the info is on our website, tdtt.us, and click on community. Stay tuned. We've got our bonus Q&A round coming up in a couple days with Scott Bellina. It's a good one. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope that you will find some gratitude in the work that you're doing, in the life that you're living, and that you will go out and have a great day. Talk to you later.